If you've got your Bible, I want you to put a little bookmark or a note in Acts um, 13 through 21. I'm not going to read it all, but we're talking about missions. And part of our missions thing was um, I wanted to talk a little bit about why we do missions, why we partner with them. And I touched briefly on that last week. But I also wanted to give you some of the history. So the Great Commission tells us to go into all the world. So who was our example of that? Beyond just, hey, you should do this, our example is Paul. Paul, it specifically lists three missionary journeys. The thing, there are things I love about Paul's missionary journeys, but the biggest thing that I like about Paul's missionary journey is the fact that he goes, he does it, he comes back, he waits, and he goes back to the same people again, back to the same places. I like it because I'm a relationship guy. If you've read any of Paul's letters, much of the New Testament is actually letters that Paul wrote, and he writes them to the very people that he met on his last journey through. And because I'm a relationship guy, you see Paul struggle with relationships, have broken relationships, have these tenuous argumentative, and yet he doesn't give up on the idea. He keeps pushing through to have relationship. He doesn't quit because it's hard. He doesn't quit because he feels betrayed. There are times in life when relationships are hard and you're going to be betrayed. And I think Paul is a great example of pushing beyond that and not giving up. So here is our value for missions as a church. As a church, I, I see three values in us partnering with missions. Number one, it causes us to give beyond ourselves. All of us in life can become very self-focused and self-centered. Even those of us who sacrifice for family or sacrifice for work, at times, if we're not careful, even those sacrifices become our badge of honor on what a good person we are. It does. It becomes this thing that, well, yeah, I sacrifice. And so it causes us to give beyond ourselves as a church, as an individual. Number two, I value it because though we cannot all go, we can all be a part of it. I don't expect every one of you to head out to the mission field in the next six months. That's not why I'm doing this. If somebody does, wonderful. We'll bring you up and we'll pray for you, and I look forward to hearing an annual report. But we can all be a part because we can all support what we're doing. And number three, it causes us to remember that the world is full of lost people. We become so insular so much of our community, and believe me, I am both guilty of this and I promote it, but so much of our community is about the people that we go to church with every day. And we don't necessarily even have relationships outside of here, and so our world becomes about what's going on here, which in some ways, that's just the reality, and I want to strengthen our faith, so I want us to have our relationships within this place. But it causes us to remember the world is full of lost people, and we have an obligation a challenge, a command, however you want to look at it, to spread that word to the rest of the world. So here's a little bit of history about Paul. First off, the first portion I call just the facts. Paul did three missionary journeys. Journey number one takes place. You can read about it in Acts 13 and 14. You might want to mark that down. Circa 46 to 47, that was the year, A.D. So about, you know, roughly... 12 to 14, 15 years after Jesus is gone, um, Paul takes off on a journey. Uh, he starts in Syria. He goes to Cyprus and then up into Southwest Asia. 
He's with Barnabas on this journey, which later he and Barnabas split up because there's a guy who starts on the journey with him, quits, and goes back, and Paul gets mad about it. But Barnabas is just like, eh, it's just not the right trip for him right now. And Barnabas isn't upset. So then they, much of their time is basically also spent disagreeing on whether or not it was okay for John Mark to split. Uh, John Mark is the Mark that's credited with writing the gospel, who was, at the time he wrote the gospel, somewhere they put between the ages of 18 and 22. And so he, the reason Mark writes the gospel, which it's the first of the four gospels that's written, is because he sees all the people who knew Jesus firsthand dying off. And he sees that this could potentially be a problem. So he starts going with Paul and Barnabas, and then he abandons, and he goes back. And about roughly eight to ten years after he goes back, that's when he writes the very first gospel. So our first of our New Testament books about Jesus is written during that period. Um, His goal all along was to plant new churches. And so he goes, he meets a group, he meets people, he brings one of them to Christ, starts having meetings in their home, and tells them, you have to invite everybody you know. They invite friends, neighbors, whoever. Paul preaches a couple of times, and then he's gone. So their church planters are people who have known Jesus for anywhere from a couple of weeks to a few months. And then they're like, okay, now you're in charge of this church. Go. Just for the record, if you go, is that what we should be doing today? Half of Paul's letters are about correcting the things that they're then teaching wrong. So maybe not the best model, but at the same time, it challenges people in their faith to step out. If you know me at all, I am a person who coddles people in their faith and goes, well, you know, whenever you're ready, I don't want to push, I don't want... Part of it is, I want people to make their own decision. And some people say, why don't you do an altar call? Because I believe that our faith is a journey. And do I want everyone to know Christ? Absolutely. And do I try to present a real picture of that? Yes. But I want people who decide and then walk that day by day until they go, all right, this is where I'm at right now, and I'm ready to take that next step forward. And then let's work, and let's keep moving forward. Because just as the parable of the sower and the seed, a ton will spring up, and then they die and they go away. I'd rather see them spring up on good soil, and then they produce much fruit. I use the apple tree a lot because where I grew up, there were a lot of apple trees, and I worked in an orchard. And the goal of an apple seed is not an apple tree, and some of you think the goal of an apple seed is an apple tree. The goal of an apple seed is an orchard. The goal of an apple seed is to cover every inch of the earth with apples. That's their goal. They're going to grow, they're going to make fruit, they're going to have that fruit hit the ground, and they want their little apple seedlings to make new trees. The goal of of the believer should not be that we see, oh look, I did one thing. It should be, look, we've changed the world, not because I went out and changed the world, but because I love someone so deeply that they came into relationship with Christ, and as a result of that, they then brought other people to Christ. Paul, on his missionary journeys, goes and he starts churches, and his whole goal is to have them start churches. And he tells them that from the very beginning. I'm sending you to do this, Because I've got to move on to the next place and tell the next group, now you do the same. His second journey, oh, also, he spent much of his time dealing with the religious Jewish leaders. Much of his 
much of the people that oppose him and object to what he's doing were not heathens. They weren't people who were just lost. They were the religious leaders who didn't like the fact that their traditions, their patterns, their habits were being challenged. In our lives today, much of your opposition doesn't come from the world. Most of the time, the world doesn't know, A, what I do, or B, care what I do. They don't. You know who gets most upset with me? People that sit in these pews, or in these chairs. Might even get an email that I call them pews, who knows. (laughs) These are the people that are going to oppose what I do. And that's okay. I don't even, like, I don't even, like, take that to heart anymore. I think about what what people challenge me on, because I want to be doing what God wants me to do. But just like that, Paul is opposed by the religious leaders, not by the heathens. The only time we really see the heathens oppose Paul is when he goes and he says, there's only one true God and all these gods are fake. And then the people who made the statues of the little gods, they get mad at them. And who do they go to? They go to two people, the religious leaders and the civic leaders. They go to the religious leaders and say, Hey, he's one of yours, get him under control. They go to the civic leaders and say, hey, he's costing us money. But most of the time, his opposition comes from the religious. Journey number two is Acts 15 through 18, circa 49 to 51. So about two to, about two to three years after he gets back, he goes again. He's working during that time. Again, he takes off from Syria. Um, some of you know where Syria is. Some of you know that Syria is in a civil war. Some of you may not know that outside of Jerusalem, at this time, Syria was the center of the Christian universe. Jerusalem and Syria are the two places where Christianity is born and spreads. And later, by the end of Paul's life, Syria actually has more Christians coming out of it than Jerusalem. Don't ever believe that some place is lost. I had recently a conversation with somebody who told me about a city, and they said, it's Sodom and Gomorrah. And I was like, man, think of what God could do there. People have asked me, because the Pacific Northwest is known for being an unchurched environment. And they've said, don't you find it really hard? And I'm like, no. Because where it's dark and the light shines seen a whole lot more. I've been to the Bible Belt. It's a great place, but if you've never been to the Bible Belt of the United States, not only does everybody go to church, everybody, like, that's their life, but they don't live any different. And it's really hard to tell somebody, you got to live different when they're like, what, I'm in church every week, sometimes three times a week. That's where I believe that Jesus says, you don't necessarily know who the believers are and who aren't, and I'm the one that will separate the sheep from the goats. That is not... um, Uh, you can't know that you're saved. The Armenian point of view that says, oh, you can never know you're saved, that's that's not even what that scripture's talking about. You are called, you are chosen, you are loved. Now let's go be light to those that are still in darkness because they're also called, chosen, and loved. So, Paul is there, he's in Syria, and... He goes from there, and he goes via land all the way up into Macedonia. So the first time the gospel has been taken into Europe is about the year, roughly the year 50. Um, He's with Silas this time because, again, he and Barnabas couldn't agree whether or not 
to like John Mark anymore. John Mark goes with Barnabas, and they actually do their own missionary journey to Cyprus, which is an island there. And uh, so they're together. And then he also, in addition to spreading the gospel again, he goes and visits churches that he started before. I think this reminds us of something key. It's not good that they should be out there alone. Paul goes as an encouragement. He goes and he reminds them they're not alone. Though I'm not here with you, you're not alone. And I think that that's critical. And it also shows the value of what Paul was doing. The third journey, he gets back. This takes place Acts 18 through 21. And it's circa 52 to 57. So he's not home long when he takes off again. And uh, this is the longest of his journeys. He stays three years just in the city of Ephesus. And he stays there because he's raising money to try to continue on on his journey. And then he circles around and he heads to Jerusalem. And then his last trip is to Rome to stand before the religious leaders of the day to, as a Roman citizen to stand before the government and explain why he's okay doing what he did. All right. So all of that was to just give you a little background. And some of you are already panicking because of the time. Don't worry. Hang with me. Here's some common concerns that I hear from our church. Number one, what are these funds used for? When we send them to missions, what, do we, what are they used for? First off, to support the actual work. It costs a lot of money to live in a foreign country. They're designed to encourage people, to let them know what you're doing is valid and we haven't forgotten you. A good way to do that is, yes, we send emails. Emails are great. But some of them only can check email maybe once a month, depending on where they're at. They can only check email occasionally. But those funds serve as an encouragement that what they're doing is moving forward. The third thing that our funds are used for is the next generation of leaders. Specifically, we support students in Bible training that are training to become pastors in two different countries, in Sri Lanka and in Russia. The funds that we send to the missionaries there go towards housing, feeding, and educating people who are going to be sent out to pastor. The missionary that was here from Russia, they have planted eight churches in the last five years. Now, to help you understand, we are a small denomination, Foursquare is, but in the previous 20 years, we'd only planted three. So now we're there. So in the last five years, we've planted eight churches. They actually believe that number is going to double in the next two years because of the number of students that they have going through their Bible program now. And you go, but still, that's only 16 churches. Yep, in a country of millions of people. But isn't it better that we're doing something than that we're doing nothing? Because, see, God doesn't say, you go out and win the whole world. He looks at us and he says, go tell the whole world. And we're going to tell as many as we can in the best, most effective ways that we can for the sake of growing the kingdom of God. Um, so here's another question I get asked quite often is, why do we send so much money when there's so much need here? Or why are we sending missionaries out? Well, because some people believe that they are called to reach other places and to reach other people. Some things we can do in other countries are far more effective than the work we can do here. Number, my third reason is the world is shrinking, whether you realize it or not. We have far more opportunity today to go into places that we never could have gone before. 
the world is getting smaller and smaller as we become a more global world, as we're able to communicate and go more places. Another reason that this is probably even somewhat selfish, but uh, Foursquare, the denomination we're part of, sent out our first missionaries in 1922, and we sent them to the Philippines is where we sent them. And by 1928, we'd sent our first people to Africa. We sent people to Kenya, Nairobi, um, the Ivory Coast, and I can't remember the fourth place. And we sent people between 1928 and 1930. So right when the Great Depression was hitting, we as a denomination said, hey, let's spend all our money and send people around the world. Interestingly enough, Foursquare... Um, in the United States has less than, uh, than 2,000 churches. There are 40 four-square nations that Foursquare is in that has more churches than the United States. Again, we were started in Los Angeles as a church, and there are now 40 nations that actually have more churches than we do in this country. Because we, from the very beginning, said, we're going to send missionaries out, we're going to send people out to spread the gospel. There are now seven nations that send, four square, that send missionaries from their country back to the United States. All of them are sent to inner city places and they fund their own missionary program. That's not us paying for them to send nationals. They're paying to send their own people. There are seven nations now sending four-score missionaries to the United States. Because they look and they go, your country's in trouble. You used to lead the world in this, but you guys are in trouble. Those are mainly in, to be honest, they're mainly in inner city. Detroit, Houston, New York City, are the three main places, the foreign countries. Because did you realize that in New York City, there are 211 different known languages spoken? I didn't even know there were that many languages in the world. The Los Angeles Public School District, which there are now missionaries coming from Kenya, Nairobi, and uh, one other nation coming uh, from South Korea through Foursquare, coming into Los Angeles. And the Los Angeles Public School District, just their school district, recognizes 188 different languages attending their schools. That changes the whole dynamic of an ESL class. Because you can walk into an English as a second language class and not even have two kids that speak the same language. Good luck, teacher. So now, they look at our country and they go, hey, you sent missionaries to us, you are in desperate need of some help. Because you're not doing it. And the world has come to our doorstep. And that's what I say, the world, it's shrinking. Up and down your street. I have neighbors on my street that do not speak English, that I know of there are three houses on my street, and my street is six blocks long. I know of three houses that don't speak English. One speaks Spanish, one speaks Tagalog, and one speaks Vietnamese. Now, there are children on all three houses, and they all speak English, but the parents don't, because I go by and I say hello and I wave to people. But the parents or the grandparents don't even speak the language. But i got to love them Anyway, because I'm not called to necessarily even speak the language. I'm called to show them who Jesus is. Then I hear, so some people say, why do we do so much? Then I hear this one also. Why don't we do more? There's so much need. Why do we only do X? Well, our goal as a church is to do whatever we do to make sure that it's sustainable. In order for it to be sustainable, I can't give everything we have away as much as I'd like to because... How do we keep going next month? In order for something to be sustainable and for it to be long-term, we have to determine this is what we can do. We as a church have set 7% of our budget we give away to missions. 2% 
of that seven goes to Foursquare. Five percent goes to individual projects that we support and partner with. Now, because it's a percentage, some months it's really good. Some months it's much less. But that's okay because some months our budget's up and some months our budget's down. Our budget as a church is approximately, this is you know, public record, we make it, it's about 24000 a month. Some of you are going, what? Why so much? And others are going, really? We do all of this for 24000 All depends on your perspective. It's all your perspective. Because some people are like, that's so much. To give you a little perspective of where my mindset came from, my church in San Diego took in about seven times more money a month than we do here. And that's not good or bad. They're a larger church and a more affluent community. And then my parents' church, which is actually a little bit larger church, took in about 35% less than what we do here. So it just depends on what's going on. Do I encourage people to give? Absolutely. Do I love people more or less based on what they give? Don't even know what they give. I was smart enough to go, don't know, don't care. Just show me a number at the end of the month. So this isn't a sermon about more money. It's a sermon about helping you understand why we do what we do. So why don't we do more? Because we want to make sure that we are sustainable. Our goal is to impact deeply. We also have to understand what our personal limitations are. So I know that a while back we had to, we, we changed our funding model. And instead of giving a flat rate each month, we changed it to a percentage. And I told the missionaries who sent each of them a letter and said, we're changing this, and so we'll change your funding. However, you may get to the point where you see far more depending on what's coming in. Finally, I've been asked, why don't we do missions trips as a church? Okay, first off, we do. We go to Mexico. But some people are like, yeah, but that's literally, I've been told, yeah, but just Mexico? I'm like, hey, it's a foreign country, and I'm taking people. And if you don't think it's foreign... Go down there with me for a week. It's the, I say this. It's the easiest missions trip you'll ever go on, but believe me, it's a foreign country. A week after we got back this year, they set a new record temperature for their city at 132 degrees. We were 116 one day, and I was like, I think we're going to melt. It's a different world, and it's a different culture. But I all have often said, Our church is a market-driven church, which means when the people say, we really want to see this, then the people need to go make it happen. When the people say, I really want to see us more involved in Ministry ABC, my thing is always, get a team, go get involved, we'll put it in the bulletin, I'll talk about it in the newsletter, and six months from now, I'll let you come up front and highlight your message of what you guys are doing and how you want other people to be involved. But it can't start from the top and be driven up here, or else it's people doing it out of compulsion, people doing it out of guilt, people doing it only because I've called them. I need it to start down here, what they call the grassroots level. Because if the people in the church aren't passionate about it, then it's never going to really flourish and have the life that I want to see it. So we're open to the idea of more, but it has to come from the people. And then finally, the reason I don't necessarily do more groups or more trips is, I have a relationship, and I go where I have relationship. And I've thought about going to a few other places. In the next year, 
between now and probably next summer, I'm actually going to go on two kind of scouting trips to see if it would be possible for us to do missions in two different places. Now, I don't know if that'll be long-term or short-term, but I'm going to go and see what they do and see what it would look like to take a group. But that's because I'm willing to say, I'm going to go and put my time and my energy and my efforts into it, and then I will drive it. But if people want to see something, all they got to do is say, hey, can we take a group and do this? And Yeah, let's organize it. But also understand, there are groups out there that are incredibly good at taking people on missions trips, and I don't want to reinvent the wheel. If you want to go, let me know. You tell me where you want to go. Anywhere in the world, I can find you a group or an organization that will, that's working there. From, you know, places that you can't even imagine if you threw a dart in a map and didn't know that country even existed, there's groups that are working there. There are uh, about 215 nations currently recognized by the UN. That goes up and down based on civil wars and lines being redesigned and that kind of thing. But currently there are 215 roughly nations recognized by the UN. Do you know that there's 200 nations currently that have missionary or missionary representatives in them? And those other 15, some of them aren't even old enough to have the ink dryer in their constitution yet and may or may not be a nation next year or the year after. It's a big world. If you want to go somewhere, let me know because I would love to see you go. But the most important thing is that we somehow get involved. We can't do everything. No church can. doesn't matter what size they are. So we have to choose what we're going to do prioritize, and then do everything we do with excellence. That's what we're called to do, is to do for God and to do it with excellence. So this was a different type of message than I usually give. Usually my messages are much more inspirational and hopefully a little bit challenging. This was far more 